You can open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to be beginning in verse 11. Matt opened us up last week looking at Jesus as the true and better prophet. We'll continue our Advent series looking this morning at as Jesus is the true and better priest, prophet, priest, and king. And so again, our text this morning is going to be Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 11. But while you're turning there, you may be wondering why we picked a series uh, going through Hebrews for Christmas. Hebrews is not exactly known for being a Christmas book of the Bible. Um, Hebrews, however, is one of our primary sources for the study of Jesus today. More specifically, Hebrews is one of the major sources of our theology of Jesus or Christology. Okay, And it's because uh, Hebrews demonstrates step by step how Jesus fulfills every jot and tittle, every iota, every shadow, every type, every prophecy found in the Old Testament. Systematically walks through everything we know to be true of the Old Testament, how Jesus is better, Jesus is superior to these things seen and found and considered in your Old Testament. You can accurately summarize the book of Hebrews by simply saying Jesus is better. Jesus is better dot, dot, dot is essentially the uh, topic of every passage found in the book of Hebrews. Our theme then this morning is going to be rejoice. The ever-living Son, Jesus Christ, is the guarantor of a better covenant. To understand our theme, we're going to have what is more accurately one point with two subpoints, but it's going to present itself as three different points. So Jesus, the guarantor of a better covenant, looking at 11 through 22, and then the subpoints explaining the how and why Jesus is this guarantor, this guarantee, um, is guarantor that lives forever to make better intercession. Verses 23 and 25, guarantor the son as a better high priest. Verses 26 through 28. And so with that, we'll hop right on in there. Beginning in verse 11, I will start reading. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of priesthood, there is necessarily a change of the law as well. And we're going to stop after verse 13. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. Now let's pause a moment. Let me explain what's going on. So first, a reminder that the original audience was Hebrew. Okay. Um, So this is being written to an audience that the author assumes the audience knows certain things about uh, the Hebrew culture, Hebrew life, and Levitical law. 
Second, we can infer from other passages in the book of Hebrews that it wasn't simply Hebrew individuals, but these were likely Hebrew teachers. And so the assumption of the author to the audience is that these people don't just simply have a basic understanding of Hebrew culture and life, but rather they have a more advanced understanding of Levitical law and Hebrew culture. So today, it throws us for a loop at times when we're reading the book of Hebrews, when things are stated as simple fact and we have no idea necessarily what's going on. And before we continue, don't get tripped up by the word Levitical. It simply means of the tribe of Levi, okay? So it'd be no different than saying in my household there is Kylian law that I lay down for the kids, right? In Matt's home, the Matthewic law um, is the same. So it's simply saying that this is of the order of Levi, of the tribe of Levi. They were given to be the priests, and the laws are to be distributed by the tribe of Levi. So it's nothing fancy. It just sounds uh, kind of intense to hear. So with that said, Let's bring ourselves up to speed. The Old Testament law was received from God and it instituted both the Levitical priesthood and the Levitical law, okay? Now, the priesthood was directly related to the law because the Levitical law was given in such a way that assumed the people of God would not be able to keep it. Have you ever considered that? The priesthood and the sacrifices were given in conjunction with the law. Okay? Here's what you need to do. And when you mess it up, this is what you need to do. (laughs) Okay? So the law and the priesthood were given in conjunction. The assumption was that the people could not keep the law. So the argument here from Hebrews is that if the Levitical system was made to last forever, why can't anyone be made perfect from it? Why can't the priests do more than simply wash away the wrongdoing? Why can't anyone become perfect through the system? The implied question here from the author of Hebrews is did God fail? Is God short-sighted? To which our answer would, of course, be no. So if we say that God did not fail, and if there is to be a new priest from the line of Melchizedek, not from Levi, then that must also mean that there's a change in the application of the law as well. Because again, the law and the priesthood are given in conjunction. So that's the gist of what we have so far, okay? It's going to get easier as we go. So, we're going to pick back up in verse 14 and read all the way through verse 21. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, not Levi, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This is because even more evident when another, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. We'll talk about him. Who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, simply to say that he's not of the tribe of Levi. He didn't become a priest because he is a Levite, but by power of an indestructible life. 
For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is Psalm 104. On the other hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. They were made such just by nature of being Levites. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and you will not change his mind. You, this priest, after the order of Melchizedek, are a priest forever. Now we have direct comparison to Melchizedek. And there's a lot of theology that happens in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. But, for the sake of time, we're going to summarize it for our purposes today like this. Melchizedek was a priest elected by God, not based on the law or not based on his genealogy, but by virtue of Melchizedek's figuratively indestructible life. So Melchizedek was a man of whom no genealogy was given. He's not said to have had a father and a father's father and a father's 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 father. He had no beginning in that sense. And it's never spoken of his death. And so he has no end. This man, Melchizedek. Some people think that this was um, Jesus in the Old Testament, a Christophany. Um, and uh, studying for this passage, I can confidently say, I have no idea. Um, it's, I'm almost persuaded that it was not, only because um, the language here seems to be that this is a fulfillment of who this man Melchizedek was. It seems like Melchizedek was figurative and that Jesus is literal. Uh, but eh, who knows? Anyway, so this man, this Melchizedek, okay, with authority from God to bless Abraham, some would say he's an important individual in relating to the people of God, the father of the people of God. He has the power and authority from God to bless Abraham and thus God's people. And then he received Abraham's tithes. He has no beginning and no end. And the author of Hebrews says here in our passage this morning that Melchizedek has returned in Jesus. Okay? So the author of Hebrews is arguing that Jesus, as a priest, a Melchizedekian priest, that's a mouthful, um, as a priest in the order of Melchizedek, is superior to Levi. Why? Because Abraham bowed to Melchizedek, and Levi was in the loins, to use biblical language, of Abraham. So Jesus, then, is a superior high priest, church, because he is a high priest by virtue, not by genealogy. Jesus is a high priest by virtue of his indestructible life. Why? Because Jesus is life itself. 
just as Melchizedek was granted this priesthood by virtue and not by genealogy. So Jesus, even though he is of the tribe of Judah, was granted this priesthood because of who he is, not because of where he came from. So the Melchizedekian priest was given an oath that no Levitical priest was given. You, Jesus, are a priest forever. Thus, Jesus is our priest forever, not to be removed due to sin or to death. Hebrews 7.22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Okay? And so, as I said, really, our first point is the only point, and our next two are going to be sort of exploring this idea of Jesus as the guarantor, okay? And so, rejoice, the ever-living Son, Jesus Christ, is the guarantor of a better covenant. And with that in mind, let's observe that first sub-point. Jesus lives forever to make better, superior intercession. So we're going to read verses 23 through 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost who draw near to him, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So why were there so many Levitical priests? They kept dying. Now let's take a moment to consider the word intercession. Most of us, uh, myself included, understands the meaning of the word generally, but most of us, myself included, um, maybe take this idea of intercession to be a exclusively verbal interaction, okay? We know that Jesus stands as our advocate and that he intercedes for us by interceding or intervening on behalf of us. But Jesus is not speaking our case before the Father only. This is certainly a part of Jesus' intercession, but it is not all of it. To explain this idea, I'm going to read a wonderful quote. I was wildly encouraged. Um, From William Milligan, some Scottish guy from the 1800s. Okay? And then I'm going to explain it briefly. The word intercede indicates every act by which the Son, in dependence on the Father, in the Father's name, and with perfect concurrence of the Father, concurrence being like, I concur, I agree, perfect agreement of the Father, takes his own with him into the Father's presence, that's us, in order that whatever he himself, Jesus, enjoys in the communications of his Father's love may become ours also. 
So this is not simply a verbal debate between the Father and the Son. This is the Son bringing those who are His, His people, the church, into the Father's presence and sharing with us every blessing and privilege that the Son has before the Father. To broaden our understanding of intercession, Milligan argues that Jesus is able to make perfect intercession to the Father. He is not simply arguing our defense in a criminal court case of which we gain nothing. We're not just declared not guilty and then pushed along our way. We are declared His And we are given every blessing bestowed to the Son from the Father. It is the priesthood of Jesus. It is through the priesthood of Jesus that Ephesians 1.3 might be true. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So I ask you, Cedarview... What would be the problem if this priest of ours who is making intercession for us before the Father, what would be the problem if this priest died? What would happen if Jesus was gone? We would no longer have Ephesians 1.3. It is the indestructible life of Jesus that makes him able to save completely and forever. His priesthood can never be transferred to another. He will never die and leave us without hope. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his intercession will never fail. Through Jesus, our priest, we draw near to God and we need not ever fear being cast out of the Father's presence because we need not fear that our priest will ever die. Jesus lives forever to make better intercession. And we can rejoice that the ever-living Son, Jesus Christ, is the guarantor of a better covenant. So Jesus is ever-living, but why must Jesus be the Son? We'll go to our next sub-point, the Son as a better high priest. And I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. For it was indeed fitting that We should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now, I want us to see the flow of the argument made here. Jesus, the ever-living one, is the only priest 
capable of being made perfect or complete forever. Because he is ever living, he can never become imperfect or incomplete due to his death. Now, as we continue, I want to use two words discussing verses 26 to 28. Um, ascension and descension. Okay? So, ascension is to raise up. Descension is to go down. Okay? Ryan and Mason really liked those noises. So, ascension, go up, descension, bring down. Verse 26 is the state of Jesus inherently, okay? Jesus is holy. Jesus is innocent. Jesus is unstained. He is separated from sinners. Jesus is exalted among the heavens, okay? This doesn't sound like you or me in the same way that we look at Psalm 8 and we say, oh, I don't look like Psalm 8. That's because it's about Jesus. This is Jesus, okay? Because verse 26 is true, then verse 27 is true. So the author of Hebrews starts with something that's basic, obvious. Jesus is holy. Da, 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 da. Gives a list. And because that's true, we look at verse 27. Because Jesus is holy and innocent, etc., he has no need to cleanse his own sin before cleansing the sins of the people. Okay? This is our essential to understand as we continue. The high priests, Levitical high priests, had to cleanse themselves in order to simply enter the presence of God and then intercede for the sins of the people. Jesus doesn't have to do that. He walks right in to the presence of his Father. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Jesus was the first and last sinless high priest. But now we're going to jump to verse 28. But keep the phrase in verse 27, keep the phrase, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to circle back to it. But for right now, we're going to jump to verse 28. In verse 28 is where our words ascension and descension come in handy. The argument here is that the men made to be Levitical priests ascended to that office, okay? The Levitical priests started here, and then they ascended to the office of priest, which is to say that they were lower than the office, and then they were lifted up by God into that role, Therefore, they had to cleanse themselves before, before, before performing the duties of cleansing the people. Because at the end of the day, nothing separated them from the people other than the simple fact they were raised to the office of priest. They were sinners just like you and me. Levitical priests were no different than us. But that's why Jesus is better Jesus, the Son, descended to the office of priest. Jesus started at the Most High, and he lowered himself. He humbled himself. He descended to the office of priest. Therefore, Jesus has no need to cleanse himself before 
performing the duties of cleansing the people because at the end of the day, there was everything separating Jesus from the rest of us. He, Jesus, is the Son of God himself who busied himself. He lowered himself. He chose to take on the office of priest. He was, not, he was a man that was not a sinner like the rest of us. <clears throat> now, I told you to keep the phrase, he did this once for all when he offered up himself in mind, because we're going to circle back to it. Now, we're going to make a transition, okay? So, Jesus descended to the office. He was better than us. He had no need to offer sacrifices for his own sins because he had none. He was the first and the last sinless high priest. Okay? Now, with that, I have good news and bad news. The good news is that observing he did this once for all when he offered up himself will mean that we are at our conclusion. The bad news is that I'm going to do the preacher thing where I say that we are at our conclusion, but it's actually just another point. So, we are concluding, but this is going to serve as a sort of bonus point to our sermon as we look at a corresponding text in Hebrews. It's actually the text that we had for our scripture reading. And so, as we transition, rejoice the ever-living, he lives forever, son, the son who descended to the role of priest. Jesus Christ is the guarantor of a better covenant. The son who descends is a better high priest than the Levite who ascends. Okay? So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Um, we're going to elaborate on that phrase, he did this once for all when he offered up himself using the scripture reading passage. So, our bonus point, if you will, is Jesus himself as the better sacrifice. Okay? And so we'll read nine, Hebrews 9, 23 through 28. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves, but the heavenly things themselves with the better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places <clears throat> every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment... So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus, our priest. 
We cannot fully understand Jesus' role as a better priest without likewise understanding Jesus' role as a better sacrifice. Jesus is a better priest. He is the better priest. Jesus is a better sacrifice. He is the better sacrifice. Before we hop into that, here's a brief review of helpful terms that those of us who joined us, for those of us that joined us for the midweek studies. A type, a shadow, and a prophecy. A type is an element, could be anything, found in the Old Testament that prefigures or like points to, like a signpost, okay, that points to an element in the New Testament. Pretty broad, right? But so let's give um, a, an example of a type that Jesus, recomm- or that Jesus points to to Nicodemus. So this is from John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, referencing Numbers 21, 9, saying, that's a type. The serpent in the wilderness points to the Son of Man who must be lifted up. Type. Okay? Now a shadow. A shadow is used... Uh, for that which represents or is a copy of something else that has more uh, reality and substance. Um, think of a literal shadow, okay? There's too many lights to actually see a shadow behind me. But as you know, a shadow, you can roughly see the outline of the individual, right? It is a copy of the individual. Make sense? Now, is it the actual individual? No. Does it exactly show all of the features of that individual? No. But you understand that it is a sort of an illusion, a copy that is not that great of what is to come. Okay? This is pointed to in Colossians 2.17. These are a shadow of the things to come. He was talking about the, um, the Lord's table. But the substance belongs to Christ. Okay? So, shadows. They're a copy in the Old Testament, something that is sort of resembles something that is true in Jesus. Now, a prophecy is most basically defined, um, and even when it's basically defined, it's still a little tedious. A divine message through someone to a person or people for a specific response. Okay? (laughs) It's as basic as I could get it. And we can look at Deuteronomy 18.18 for this. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them to all the host I command him. Okay? So, type, shadow, prophecy. Now, I'll do this brief overview to see that what we know of the Old Testament type, shadows, and prophecies is that they all find their true end in who? It's a Sunday school answer. It's Jesus, Amy whispered back to me. It's Jesus. They all find their end in Jesus. Okay? So if you go looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, lo and behold, you will find him. Jesus says that the entirety of the law, the prophets, and the writings, the Old Testament, is about him. So, what God's people didn't understand yet during the Levitical priesthood is that Jesus would come and fulfill the role truly where they fulfilled but a shadow. 
of what was to come, the office held by Jesus. The true high priest was always intending to offer himself for the sins of the people. Yet the shadows of the Levitical priesthood were unworthy, incapable of doing so. Does God accept blemished and spotted lambs at his altar? No. Year after year, then was the day of atonement where the sins of the people could have been dealt with in truth, but simply the debt was pushed off to the next year. Yet year after year was an insufficient high priest who had ascended to the office, unequal to the task before him. Shadow after shadow took office as God's people eagerly awaited the true priest who was to come, who could actually deal with the sin that they were just sinning on credit, using the phrase that we had in our studies as well. Not a single high priest was worthy, yet God graciously and patiently waited for the one to come who was worthy. When the fullness of time came, Jesus was born of a virgin in a manger as angels shout, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to people he favors. He lived the life that man was incapable of living. He never sinned and furthermore fulfilled all righteousness. He who descended from on high took the office of priest on our behalf. He entered into the true holies of holies, not in heaven, not the shadow here on earth. But Jesus had no need to cleanse himself before entering because he had been tempted and tried in every way as we are yet without sin. And Jesus entered the holy place with empty hands. For the blood of bulls and goats cannot atone for the sins of man, but it is the blood of man that must cover the sins of man. Jesus himself was the sacrifice for mankind. He was a sacrifice without spot, without blemish, offered to God to cleanse the sins of the people. Did he succeed? We know that Jesus succeeded because Ephesians 5.27 exists. That Jesus presents the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The one sacrifice, the one priest, Jesus Christ, the only one without spot or blemish, was the only one who could wash away ours, our spots, and our blemishes. Praise God that Jesus is not only truly man, but is truly God. Remember that Jesus, our priest after the order of Melchizedek, is a priest by virtue of an indestructible life. For though he truly died and sacrificed for sin, he was in the grave. And on the third day, he rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. The only one of whom has indestructible life, had life that conquered death. Jesus truly 
died, yet death could not hold the priest in the order of Melchizedek. Then Jesus, our priest, has no need to offer any further sacrifices for sin on behalf of his people, for through the sacrifice of himself and his permanent holding of the office of priest, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Jesus then is the source of our salvation. He is the means of our salvation, and he is the sustainer of our salvation. He is the guarantor of a better covenant because this covenant of grace is based on the finished work of Christ. The fulfillments have already been met by Jesus. So rejoice, Cedarview. The ever-living Son, Jesus Christ, is the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. He lives forever to make better intercession. And he is a better high priest because he is the son of God himself who descended to the office. And to conclude, truly this time, beholding Jesus as a better high priest, we see Jesus as a better sacrifice as well. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, if your desire is for Jesus to be your priest, then praise God, you need only repent and believe. Pastor Matt and I will be down in the front to receive anyone that wants our counsel. And if you do not know him, or if you do know him, church, then repent again this morning and persevere by the power of the Spirit. And as we look forward to the advent of Jesus today, let us go forth in power, shouting alongside the angels, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. And let us go forth rejoicing, shouting with the author of Hebrews, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those of us who are eagerly waiting for him. Pray with me.